Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory. Hallelujah. It is the 18th of April, 2022. Um, Happy Easter. We can keep saying Happy Easter um, for a number of weeks. So it is not just Easter day. It is now Easter season. We're going to live as Easter people. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how does that um, change everything? That's going to be the dominant conversation Uh, This morning. Now, the headlines are predictably mixed between good news and bad news and news that is open to the wildest of interpretations. And so, here on Mornings with Carmen, we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of our day. So, I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Faith Radio. Um, Welcome. Thank you for including me in your day today. As we survey the wondrous cross, as we survey the wondrous cross, now I recognize that for a lot of people that's in the rearview mirror. Like you're like, that is old news. That is last week's news. That, that was Good Friday. Like we've moved on. As we survey the wondrous cross, we recognize that for Christians from um, Orthodox traditions around the world, including Russia and Ukraine, today's not the Monday after Easter. Today's the Monday following Palm Sunday. It's the Monday of Holy Week. It's the Monday before the cross. It's the Monday before Easter. And for billions of people around the world, Easter isn't even on the radar. It didn't even, it it didn't make the news in their life. So for the first time in three decades, Ramadan, Passover, and Easter all coincided this year. Tens of thousands of worshipers of All three of those what are known as Abrahamic religions converged in the holy city of Jerusalem. That made for clashes on Friday at the Al-Asqa Mosque amid a rise in street violence in Israel across recent weeks. And we say to ourselves, where is the peace? Where's the peace Through the lens of the crucifixion, which places the reality of our sin and the world's brokenness in the most blinding of light, and through the lens of the empty tomb, which provides this substantial promise that death has been swallowed up and the enemy has lost all his real power over us. It's through those lenses, the lens of the crucifixion and the empty tomb, that we approach the issues of our day including headlines related to Ukraine. So in Ukraine, Russia has targeted now the western city of Lviv, killing at least six and injuring 11. We are in day 54. Ongoing heroic efforts by Ukrainians in the besieged city of Mariupol, refusing to surrender even as the city 
um, is laid waste. Those who have endured to this point will likely be tested again today. Today is April the 18th, and it is on that date that Russia has indicated it will, quote, shut down the city. They have also indicated they intend to filter all men into forced labor or isolation. Over the weekend, in retaliation for the sinking of the Russian Army's or Russian Navy's flagship, named after the city of Moscow, uh, there was bombing, shelling in Ukraine's capital city of Kiev, or Kiev, um, in Kharkiv, and then, as I have uh, described to you, finally in the western city of Lviv. So um, we also continue to have millions of Ukrainians streaming over the borders into Moldova, Slovakia, Romania, Hungary, Poland, and then from there to points um, further into Europe. It is in the face of all of this and in every other kind of suffering that we as Christians offer up a crucified Christ risen from the dead. And as crazy as that sounds, it's not only true, it changes everything. He is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory. Hallelujah. That one fact changes everything. It changes every moment, every decision, every piece of information, every item of news, every day, every hour, every moment, all eternity. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And so how exactly did the first disciples respond to the news of the resurrection? And how do we respond today? Dave Buring joins us next. Find him at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning and happy Easter. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. This changes everything. This changes it everything. It does. Yeah, yeah. So let's um let's talk about the reaction of the first disciples and then let's um let's talk about like what difference it really makes to us as Christians today. Because we don't always measure up to what we, um, you know, that that sort of checklist of discipleship, like everything I I ought to be doing for Christ and all the things I must not leave undone on his behalf. And sometimes I feel incredibly um, short in terms of um, the things that I imagine I ought to be saying or doing. Um, And so I'm not alone in that. So can we just talk a little bit about the first disciples reaction um, and then discipleship today. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I when I look at the first disciples' reaction, it was probably very much like like you and I. You know, there was that surreal um, unbelief moving towards belief, just kind of shock and awe, and recognizing. You know, I think later they they realized. You know, he said this to us a number of times, and we just didn't dial in. You know, that he would be crucified and he would be raised on the third day. 
But I, I agree with you. It, it changes everything. And, and I think one of the things that we don't do as well in our world as followers of Jesus that they did is the resurrection was a uh, one of the primary things that the disciples preached and taught about because they knew that it changed everything. And so it was something, as you see through the book of Acts, and you look at that first generation of followers of Jesus after a lot of them, it was something they talked about, how Jesus was alive, how he overcame death, and the, and they talked about the event of the resurrection. So, yeah, very, very important. And I, um, you know, one of, the, one of the people that I see transformed through this more than anybody that I think we can all relate to is Peter. You know, you look at Peter before when, you know, he denies Jesus after promising he never would, I would die for you. And then, you know, a couple of ladies talk to him around the fire and he gets into language you usually wouldn't use, denying Jesus. And then all of a sudden you see some 40 days later, the promise of the Holy Spirit come where Jesus told them in Luke 24, wait, 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 which they obeyed. They waited. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes and Peter in all boldness declares the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000. The church grows from 120 to 3,120 in a day. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, watching the Gospels advance through, um, you know, through these first disciples, you know, the 12 and then the 120 and then the thousands, right? I mean, this is the multiplier effect is pretty great. The, the Gospel advances very quick, quickly, um, as testified to in um, in the book of Acts, we thrill at that. Um, and we see these guys after the resurrection genuinely transformed. They receive the Holy Spirit. They launch into these ministries. Um, they advance the gospel in every direction. And mm-hmm. we say to ourselves, okay, are we supposed to be witnesses like that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does what does discipleship look like today on the day after Easter in the reality of, of an Easter faith? So can we talk about that? In just a yeah. moment. Yep. All right. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lionshare. You can find him at lionshare.org. What, um, you know, sort of like Easter, so what? That's really our uh, conversation topic for today. You know, Easter happened. So what? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. <laughs> Talking about Easter, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and that one fact, that truth changes everything. It offers a new beginning, a radical reset. It's the hinge moment in all of human history um, where God changes what to that point has been uh, a a narrative fraught with um, pain and suffering following the fall. Um, to this redemptive moment when all things are suddenly possible in a totally new reality, a reality where um, sin is forgiven in Christ Jesus and grace is available to everyone and the gospel is extended um, to everyone, including you and including me, like everything new, a new beginning. Dave Buring has joined us from Lion Share. You can find him at lionshare.org. Dave, let's talk about Easter and then the so what? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it, it's like for me, I think about those moments after, you know, Jesus is raised from the dead. And then we see in the Bible, 
the ascension, which is when Jesus, uh, about 40 days later, ascends back into heaven, and they're standing there. Can you imagine just having a chat with Jesus, and all of a sudden, you know, he lifts off the ground, and they watch him go into heaven, and we're reminded then, the angel said, hey, he'll come, you'll see him come in the same way that he left. And, and then, you know, one of the things that we often don't talk about that I think has ramifications for our lives today is, is what they did immediately after that. Because Jesus had told them in Luke 24, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. They went together. They spent time together. And can you imagine those first, let's call them seven to ten days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the conversations that went on when it was just them. You wonder if they wrestled with the whole thing of Judas, like, how did we not see this early on? You wonder if some of the disciples weren't saying, hey, Peter, like the denial thing, you're up there saying, I'll never do, and then you do, you know? So there's probably not only prayer, but repentance before God, reconciling with each other. And then that led to the moment where there was kind of the cleansing of everything that the Holy Spirit comes, and boom, there's this empowerment to become his witnesses. So I think there's there's lessons to be learned in what happened in their lives right after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So we know um, from the story of Peter mm-hmm. that you know there there are ways in which even even those who love Christ best, who have access to him, who follow him um, at least closely for periods of time who are witness to his glory, fail. Fail. Yeah. Peter failed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peter returned to fishing. Peter, um, you know, let's go, let's go fishing. That's the best idea I have. Um, you know, the, the man who had become a fisher of men turned back to fishing for fish. Talk mm-hmm. with us about the mm-hmm. example of Peter and the grace of Christ and the invitation to begin again on this uh, day after Easter. Yeah, again, Peter is one of those in Scripture, whether we're men or women, we can identify with his humanness. And so, again, we we go back to the upper room. You know, if everybody else denies you, I will not. And then there's this moment in time where he denies Jesus three times, the rooster crows. And it's interesting because in the Gospels, I believe it's in Luke, it says, and Peter went away and wept bitterly. And I think that was a uh, kind of a first round of repentance. He realized what he had done. Um, he he weeps. And then Jesus, you know, rises. And it's interesting because it, it says, he tells Mary, tell the disciples and Peter, specifically calls Peter out to meet me, you know, such mm. and such place. And And we end up then finding, you know, Peter... Being typical Peter, as you said, he's out fishing. Hey, he hears the call from Sir. Hey, have you caught anything? You know, and Jesus does a little Jesus stuff there. And the next thing you know, Peter's jumping out of the boat, swimming to shore because he knows the person standing there on the shore fixing breakfast for them is Jesus. And they have this unique encounter. And so this is the first time that Peter has seen Jesus after denying him. And you have this encounter that's precious, weighty, where where Jesus asks him three times. It's interesting, isn't it? Rooster crows three times, denies him three times, and those three times he says, do you love me? 
And Peter is, yes, I love you. And by the third time, you can tell he's frustrated. He says, you know, he's, yes, I love you. And Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. And it's interesting that Jesus took the time, not once, not twice, but three times to restore the three times of denial. And whether that was, you know, to wash the insides of Peter, of his heart and mind and the brokenness and the disappointment in himself that happened, but Jesus restores him and then he tells him, now, go feed my sheep. It's amazing, the restoration of Peter. It is amazing. You may be wondering right now, hey, um, I didn't, I, maybe I didn't know all the times that Jesus um, appeared after having risen from the dead. You know, it's not just to Mary Magdalene uh, near, the, near the tomb in the garden where he is, you know, mistaken for the gardener. It's not just in the upper room. It's not just on the beach. Um, it's not just on the road to Emmaus. It's that evening in Jerusalem to all of the of the apostles except Thomas in the upper room, and then, um, uh, and then especially to Thomas, and um, and then to the disciples on the on the mountain, and uh, more than five hundred at once. Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen to James, at, at, you know, in a place that we don't know, in a time uh, about which we're not exactly aware, um, but. In the 40 days prior to his ascension, Jesus appeared to a lot of people in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. Um, And what we want to declare to you today, if you're listening, is Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. Like, it is reality. It's not just that 12 people cooked up some crazy idea. Like, it really happened. Um, When you think about the the radical reality of the resurrection, Dave, um, what difference does it make? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an eternal difference. It's, you know, it's a difference that, like, if you begin with the end in mind, you realize it's it's an eternal difference. It's where you spend eternity. There's there's just that to look at. But then as you backtrack it to where we are in April of 2022, you know, the reality is, is, is do I have relationship with God? You know, is is relationship with God there in my life? Is that real? Is that genuine? Is that religiosity and, you know, attendance to church? Or is there a real relationship with God? It's forgiveness. It's knowing that because Jesus died in my place and took my sin, past, present, and future, it's knowing forgiveness. It's no longer walking around with the weight of guilt that is real because of what we've done. It's being redeemed and, and, and knowing that I'm, I'm clean. God has made me clean. And when I screw up again, when I sin again, I know I can come back to him and he does it over and over and over again. It, it's also for me, Carmen, it's, it's empowerment. It's, I now have the power of the Holy Spirit, not only to live a godly life, but as it says there in Acts 1-8, to be his witness, to be a reflection of him. To be, you know, a witness is only somebody that, that can speak firsthand, right? We don't have second and third hand witnesses. It's it's the first hand. I was there. I saw it. And so it's beginning to declare what the witness of what Jesus has done in our lives. That's that's something that nobody can take away from us. That's something we can yeah. always declare. There's there's the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done and who he is and his death and resurrection, but there's also the testimony of what that Jesus has done in my life. And that's something nobody can take away from us. 
Dave, thanks so much. We look forward to talking with you as Easter people going forward. Um, and it is again, it, it, it bears repeating, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Glory, hallelujah. That's our brother, uh, Dave Buring. You can find him at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm alive because he lives and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make in your life and in your attitude and in your approach and in your worldview and in your day and in your night and in your relationships and in your speech and in your actions and in your giving and I don't know, in your tax preparations, right? I mean, on and on and on. Um, Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Easter changes everything. The empty tomb changes everything. And it's worth lingering over for a day for us to consider as Christians the real difference, the cosmic difference, the difference right here and right now, the eternal difference, the difference in this very moment, the personal difference, and the difference in every relationship, the redemptive difference. It is worthy of our pausing and considering the difference that Easter makes. It it is a real reality that the tomb is empty and Christ has risen. And I don't want us to just race past that and just get back to the agenda of the day. No, no. It's a radical reset of all of human history, and it ought to be a radical reset in our lives as well. In, In many, many ways, like this is New Year's Day. In many, many ways for the Christian, we talk about like, you know, Chinese New Year, or you talk about like, you know, some other kind of New Year. This is like Christian New Year. Like today is the first day of the new reality. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory. Hallelujah. Don't just let it be something you just did for a few hours on Sunday morning, and then, you know, you kind of got over it and you moved on. Linger at the empty tomb. Consider Jesus. Yes, consider the cross, but consider the empty tomb. Consider Jesus. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We um, apply the mind of Christ, this resurrection hope, to everything. It is through this lens that we consider everything else, that we live and move and find our being. And so Dr. Adam Carrington is going to join us next from Hillsdale College. Um, We're going to talk about the mind of Christ as applied to the issues of the day. We're going to talk about um, political realities. And yes, we're going to talk about resurrection hope. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Adam Carrington is back. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Hey, brother, um, I would love to 
just start with the resurrection hope that you have promised on your uh, that you have declared and um, and broadcast on your Caring Bridge site. Can you just share with us your resurrection hope this morning? Uh, it is, and, uh, and my resurrection hope really comes from the words of Christ that it is finished. That really struck me this season with uh, the battles I've been fighting with cancer, where <clears throat> with the cancer diagnosis, it feels like the cancer is never finished, uh, the, the treatments or the side effects, all of that seems to just always have some other element that comes up, something else to be dealt with, something else that just tells me that it's not done. And something that I've been very encouraged by is that when Jesus says it's finished, that um, what he has accomplished, um, there, there's no going back, and that that includes victory over death, obviously in the grave, but also victory over my cancer and, and victory over all that has been broken and all that has been um, um, torn apart in this world. And therefore, I can say that even though cancer doesn't seem finished, uh, it is finished in the long scheme of things, and that it is finished in what Christ has done. He has undone that and that, therefore, none of it can separate me from him. None of it can separate me from uh, glory when, 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 when that time comes. So that has been a wonderful resurrection hope that I have thought of the words, it is finished in a way that I just hadn't before, given, given my circumstance. And I'm thankful that it is finished. Yeah, I think that given, given my circumstance and even though, like those are words that um, catch me up sometimes. Uh, even though, even though it seems, even though um, my circumstances suggest that, Jesus has said from the cross that it is finished, and I have to trust that. Like, I have to, I do, and I do trust it. Um, but you, it was a wonderful reminder, so thank you so much. Um, Adam, we turn with this resurrection hope in this resurrection reality, um, recognizing that everything's different because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um and then we turn to the issues of the day and we say, how does that apply? How does the mind of Christ apply to, let's say, the fact that the Supreme Court of the United States is going to hear the coach, uh, hear the case of a coach praying on a football field? Like, help us draw these two things into the same space. Right. And some listeners may be familiar with this case because it, it's gotten some news before this of a coach that wanted to and did pray at, at on on the field after after games were over would allow team team players from both sides to come and pray with him if they wanted to would actually started the uh, the, the 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 idea or started the practice of holding up helmets for both teams uh, when when praying and was basically told he could not do that as a public employee of the school. And the, the, the has lost at the lower courts, but the Supreme Court has taken that back up. And I think where that comes back to the question of it is finished is God is, is, is sovereign over the universe. He is sovereign over history, including American history. And um, the question is going to be, to what degree can a public employee acknowledge that 
what are the parameters for it, uh, both regarding religious liberty and regarding the establishment of religion, as our First Amendment talks about. But um, the courts have been very closed to these kind of public displays of religion in the past. The fact that they've taken the case back up seems to be that they are more willing to at least be open to these kind of displays. And again, I think those displays being an acknowledgement of the God of history, the God of um, uh, not just Christianity, but of the, the whole world, the creator and the redeemer. And so we'll see how, how, how open they really are. But this is a signal that um, not only on religious liberty, where the courts have been fairly open, but on these kind of public displays of religion, uh, there, there seems to be some, some, some very good hope that uh, there is more of an opening than there's been in a long time on that score. All right, we're going to be um, upholding that. Um, let's, uh, let's also talk about the 2024 election cycle. There's, <laughs> there's a lot going on in terms of um, the process. Can you, can you maybe um, help us understand what the Democrats are talking about in terms of presidential primaries? Um, and then if you're, um, if you're read in on this, what's going on with the Republicans in terms of um, debates? Right. And, and I think the, the, the news that will probably be most dear to uh, the, the, some of the listeners is uh, the question about uh, what primaries or what caucuses come first. And so since 1972, Iowa has been the first basically official vote that the uh, Republicans and Democrats have had. Well, the Republicans followed, I think, four years later in being the first in 76. And um, that is very much up in the air. And I think it's up in the air for two reasons. One, it's up in the air because of the trouble that was had with the caucuses four years ago, uh, or what, actually two years ago, um, in the Democratic side. And second, that there is some worry among Democrats about whether Iowa is representative of the country or not, as far as taking a first vote and getting proper momentum to the kind of candidate that they think can win nationally. And so I know this is personal to uh, probably a, a number of listeners who are used to Iowa being really uh, uh, getting a lot of attention and being really the starting point of the campaign. And so it looks like that might be, be, be changing uh, in, 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 in next few years. They're very open to having a different ordering uh, come 2024. So that, that's the big, the big step on that side uh, uh, as far as what's going on. All right. I'll bring you and everybody else up to date on what's going on with the RNC, because I was just reading this um, this morning. So uh, let's see. Uh, it's being described by The Hill as a step, uh, one more step toward factionalism. Um, the announcement that the Republican National Committee is withdrawing from the Commission on Presidential Debates. Um, so let me just scroll here. Um, they say that the commission is biased. Uh, they're pledging that the GOP would find newer and better debate platforms in the future. Um, so in the past, the the commission has drawn up um, all the rules and decided on the moderators. Um, I guess that's been going on since 1988. And then both parties um, participate in those official debates. And so it'll be interesting to see how that process unfolds if the um, Republican National Committee is not participating in 
that particular debate process in in the 2024 cycle. It's just going to make it's going to make for a different kind of I mean, you know, things change. Like I think that anytime you and I can pick particular dates on a calendar and we can say this has been going on since this date in time, that does mean that at that point in time there was a change and there was a practice prior to that. And so there's going to be a different practice going forward. Um, tell us what's going on in Kentucky that we need to know about. Sure. Uh, in, in Kentucky, you've got a abortion bill that was passed by the legislature that bans abortion after 15 weeks. They already have a 20-week abortion ban in Kentucky that so far has been still going through the courts. The 15-week one is very much modeled after the Mississippi law that is currently before the Supreme Court. And we've talked several times about how that case is really challenging the foundations of Roe v. Wade. It was vetoed by the Democratic governor of Kentucky and then overridden by the state legislature. They had enough votes to to override that veto. And so where I think this could matter is beyond Kentucky is really the question of the states looking to a post-Roe world, if that world indeed is imminent, and asking what should be the legislative landscape you know should uh, should there be a complete ban should there be uh bans that take place earlier uh what exceptions and not exceptions should there be and i think that um where where listeners across the country should be taking note is thinking in their own terms about what should that would that landscape look like for them what um, well, and, and I think this is showing that there is a vibrant, strong pro-life movement across the country, that it has a lot of power at the state level, not just the national level, and that it is already asserting itself and setting itself up for, for that world. So I think that's where this matters, and I think it's showing a bit of confidence in the pro, from the pro-life movement about what they think might be coming from the Supreme Court itself. We'll have to see. Yeah, I think there's a lot of anticipation about the Supreme Court's action on this and then the recognition that we move from that to a patchwork. You know, we return to the the, the laws and um, the way those laws are applied being different in every state across the country. So that's going to that's going to be fodder for a lot of conversation and probably a lot of ongoing controversy. We're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about um, Hillsdale College, which Adam is on the faculty of. They are launching a national network of charter schools. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There ain't no- We've been talking for a fairly long period of time about the need for renewed, even revolutionary approaches to education here in the United States of America. Lots of folks have been uh, begun homeschooling their children in the COVID era. That has resulted um, in lots of folks then looking for alternatives to public school if they get to the place where, well, homeschooling is not something they can do any longer as now they need to return to work. And so to where will they send their children? Hillsdale College has some ideas about that. Hillsdale is actually building a national charter school network. Um, 
joining us today as he uh, as he does on a regular basis, Dr. Adam Carrington. And because he teaches at Hillsdale, I thought, hmm, who better to ask? Adam, what's going on? Sure. And I will say that I have done some work with the teachers in this initiative. It's called the Barney Charter School Initiative. They bring the a lot of the teachers in every summer to do training and seminars. So I've, I've worked with them. And the thought is that, as you said, there's a, a lot of problems with education. And some of it is that the education is badly ideological, uh, that it uh, paints a picture of what human beings are and what humanity is and 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 what America is that is um, just not only not true but uh, has damaging effects to us as citizens and us as human beings as, uh, as far as our children's education is 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 placed and then the second thing is that too much of education is focused on just getting a job as if education is only technical training for being a worker as if that's all you need to learn is how to be a worker and so what this uh, what the educational what the schools that uh, Hillsdale has already opened and they've opened about two dozen across the country uh, whether it be Arizona Florida whether it be um, other parts of the country as well is to correct both of those to have an education that is focused on first a holistic view of the human being, the idea that we're, we need to learn virtue, we need to learn that we're made in the image of God, that um, therefore being trained as a human being is important, being trained as a citizen is important, that you learn what it means to be part of this country and an active member of this country, and to do so in a way that doesn't whitewash the uh, sins of the country, uh, our past, but truly sees that in human history, America's done some extraordinary things despite human sinfulness and despite that being part of our own history. Um, and so what's happening is people seem to be recognizing that, especially in the state of of, of Tennessee. Uh, that's been recognized. Uh, the governor there wants us to open about 50 schools in the state. Uh, places like uh, Florida are wanting us to open even more as well. And so uh, I think this vision of education as being much more um, patriotically inclined, but also just open to educating and cultivating the souls of children uh, toward a holistic view of that education, uh, all of that uh, people seem to be hungry for. And, and, and we get contacted all the time about wanting to open new schools all over the place. So that's where that, that's the, the program. Uh, it's thriving and seems to be uh, ready to take even a bigger step to uh, do more and more uh, to try to rectify this 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 gap and problems in our education system. All right, so we are talking about Hillsdale College. We are talking about um, their effort to build a national charter school network. Um, you can find all kinds of information um, about it on, on the Hillsdale website. I am also reading from a New York Times article um, about it as well. Um, this is uh, this is a real charter school effort. The college is not going to own nor operate these schools. I think that's Im important to um, to recognize. It's a classical education um, model. The curriculum is provided. You could uh, Google that 1776 curriculum um, and check that out as well. 
I think that when we think about um, when we think about charter schools, there's a lot of people who don't necessarily know exactly what that means. A charter school is not a private school. It's a public-private um, partnership kind of thing. Um, can you explain that a little bit to us? Right. This is a kind of school that has been opened up by states across the country where they are publicly funded, uh, so they are, in that sense, a public school, but they are given a lot more leeway to try different things than what the state requirements for regular public schools have to follow. And the idea there is to give some room for innovations, to give some room for trying some new things to, to, to break some of the cycles that some of the schools have gotten into. So it is publicly funded. It still does have certain quality and rules for, you know, being a quality school that it has to follow. But it does have more leeway that we're taking advantage of and that the schools that are being set up take advantage of to, to try some new things and to try some, in some ways, the new things are old things, uh, going back to this older view of education. All right. When um, when you think about this effort and when you think about um, the critics of it, right, we ought to know what the critics are saying. Um, what, you know, what's the backlash or what are, you know, what are the primary criticisms of this that we should be uh, uh, prepared to look for and answer? Right. And, 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 and obviously you should see both sides of this. Um, the criticism is uh, twofold. One, that this takes away resources from the regular public schools that and that we should just be redoubling our efforts into those schools to try to make them better. And my, uh, the hope is that that this will make them better, that the competition and the, 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 the and, and that maybe some of the success will be replicated there, that they'll take some, some stock of it. Um, the other is that, um, Hillsdale does take a stand that it thinks America is overall a good thing that it has done good things and that uh, it's okay for the education, the curriculum of an American school to acknowledge that and even praise that. I think that the, some, some of the criticism says that our curriculum is overly praiseworthy. Uh, I think that, you know, I'd like people to just look at the curriculum and decide that for themselves. Uh, we don't whitewash, as I said before, um, slavery or segregation or some of the other ills of American history. And so I think some of the debate among that is uh, what is an adequate taking account of that? But that said, uh, you know, that's one of the criticisms as well is that we could be harsher, I guess, on ourselves uh, and that our education, therefore, is, a, is itself a little too ideological. Um, obviously, I think that we, we, we do a better job of balancing the ideology than some others out there. But yeah, those are the arguments on the other side. And I would just encourage people to look at the curriculum and see for themselves what, what, what they think and whether they think it's a good education going forward. We make all that public. We make it all available uh, because we, we think it can stand up to that scrutiny. All right. So um, if, we, if people want to check it out and find out more, um, you can just you could just probably Google articles related to Hillsdale um, and charter schools. But if you want to find Hillsdale directly, you can do so at hillsdale.edu. Um, I'm guessing if I click there that I can find information about I'm going to go over here. I'm going to see how this navigation works. Right. Um, maybe I go to centers and educational outreach and then I scroll down. And yep, sure enough, there is the information 
um, not only about Hillsdale's K through 12 classical education, but how to do it at home, um, the the library related to it, and information um, about this growing network of charter schools as well. So see, cool, good yep. job. All right, so hillsdale.edu. Great, um, great thing to check out and see what's happening in your own state, wherever you live in relationship to charter schools and this new charter school network. Um, remind us the name behind it. It's Barney, isn't it? Yep. The, yeah. So e- even if you Google Barney Charter School Initiative, you, the link will come right up for there as well. Barney, B-A-R-N-E-Y, Barney Charter School Initiative. Yep. There you go. That works great. All right. As always, thank you so much, Dr. Adam Carrington. Um, we appreciate your time with us today. It's a pleasure. Happy Easter to everyone. Happy Easter. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come away, come away, come away. All right, those of you asking about whether or not there is a Hillsdale-affiliated school near you, um, let me just encourage you to check out the website, k12.hillsdale.edu, k12.hillsdale.edu. It is um, the one-stop uh shop really for all things related to this um and and i appreciate your interest in this for those of you texting in you can always text me 877-933-2484 it is easter christ is risen he is risen indeed we are going to linger at the cross in the empty tomb in the next hour you're listening to mornings with carmen we'll be right back thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.